1: You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. Tech time. We live. F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast, brought to you by Half Fast Gaming. Partnering Treeface Racing, together we'll go fully fast. I'm your host, Richard Spanners, ready. And don't be fooled, yes it is me hosting tech time uh we'll bring on our tech expert in just a moment but let me make it very clear to you that we are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves we aim to bring you a race review before your monday morning commute we might be wrong but we're first uh we're joined by of course tech expert from motorsport.com matthew summerfield uh, hey summers hey spanners good to meet see you again Good to meet, see me again. again. Yeah. (laughs) Right, so we are completely thrown by the fact that it's me doing tech time. For those of you who don't know Matthew Summerfield, he is the man that Fernando Alonso called Twitter Clown of the Week, but you are also a regular tech analyst for motorsport.com. And the reason that I'm here instead of Matt Trumpets is because you have some fantastic news, uh, which I have to say is thoroughly, thoroughly
0: deserved. You are going to now be full-time at motorsport.com. I am, and thanks for that, Spanners. But yeah, it's been a, a long, hard road to get to this point. And I, I can't actually believe that I've actually got where I have right now. But we're here, and I am really going to look forward to this 2020 season. And there's plenty of tech for me to talk about this year as well. Now, it's, it's really annoying because you're, you're saying, oh, well,
1: you can't believe it, but you've done it by basically working two jobs you've you've put the roof over your head with a day job and then you've done another full-time effort to try and make it in f1 motorsport journalism so you're the kind of person who really annoys me because you go how how do these people how do they make it oh by being really talented and and working really hard but the reason i'm here instead of matt is because matt is on uh the honeymoon that he never had with amanda and uh we don't know how your commitments Time wise are gonna affect your chances of coming on Missed Apex. So before you started, you know, your testing run in, we've decided to grab you. Hopefully, not for your last show ever here. But I was just being paranoid. I wanted to make sure that we caught you and got updates
0: on the new cars. Yeah, and there's plenty to talk about with the new cars as well, to be honest, Spanners. So I'm pleased to be here. And as you say, I hope that this isn't the the end of my journey with Mr. Apex. I really do appreciate what you guys have done to give me a platform to work with. And hopefully we can continue that in the future. Well, you're welcome. And if you
1: can't come on here in the future, at least we've got, you know, at least we've got an ally uh, in the mainstream media. So we'll keep our ties for you. And you are not let off coming to Miss Apex karting. All right, let's talk about the Formula 1 cars. Uh, it's the end of the you know a set of regulations which in some ways can be a bit more boring because it's just an evolution of new things. But in other ways like I I kind of don't want this era to end. I don't want the 2021 regulations to end because I've ju- I've just got a feeling that the pot is about to bubble over as a lot of the teams come together. We're, we're certainly not in spec uh, series territory. But what we're seeing is the best bits of this era have been identified by the other teams. And you know, most of the teams
0: are now finding the best solutions in every area. Yeah, I mean, the the thing to think about with 2020 is that obviously it is the end of an era and not only the end of an era in respect of this particular regulation set, but the way in which Formula One is regulated in general with regards to the car design itself. So obviously 2021's car is a very different animal to the one we currently have because it is going to be more spec-based. Clearly, there's still going to be areas that the teams can navigate and improve upon, but it is very much um, holistically a different car. So what I think we've we've started to see for 2020 with the the launch cars that have appeared is not only a convergence of the ideas that we've seen since the, the regulation set came in 2017, but we've we've also seen some of the teams think, and minute, we aren't going to be able to use a lot of the ideas that we've had stored up in drawers, gathering dust, uh, and they've just decided to throw their weight behind it. Ah, so they've they've kind of they've really gone for it. Which team? Okay,
1: look, look we're going to look at some of the sort of overall themes, but just some quick questions from me as a noob. Uh, which teams, without going into depth, do you think have done that the most? Which team
0: has gone? Let's just go for it. The obvious candidate there is Red Bull. Uh, their car is quite vastly different to what we've seen from in the past. They have converged on many of the other ideas up and down the grid, but then they also have some ideas that are very different to others. So obviously they are the, the lead candidate in that respect.
1: Excellent. We will go uh, and dissect certainly the top four or five teams and, and their
0: approach. But what are some of the general themes that we're seeing this year? Okay, so the first one I think we probably best to look at is the side pod arrangements ferrari entered the new era in 2017 with these more aesthetically pleasing more aggressive cars with a very different side pod design the lower impact support spar is lowered further down sorry the upper uh, spar is lowered further down and brought further forward and that allowed the the teams oh, it certainly allowed ferrari sorry originally to maximize the amount of bodywork positioning to reduce the size of the inlet now since then other teams have obviously taken this idea and improved it dramatically red bull led that charge and have changed their design to allow for two main spars across the inlet i've got i've got some really stupid really basic
1: questions here because you've said inlet side pod and then, of course, there's the inlets above the driver's head. Just, just okay. for those who might have forgotten, what are those inlets for and what's, le- what's in
0: the side pod? Okay, the side pod ha- generally houses things like the uh, air-to-air coolers. So whether that's a radiator or an intercooler to, that, that uh, cools the charge air that goes into the turbo. So that's important in terms of cooling the, the parameters of the internal combustion engine. On top of that, you have things like ERS coolers that some of the teams put in the side pods and some of them put them arranged around the bulk of the power unit itself. The air box that you're talking about, the inlet above yeah. the driver, uh, is usually used for the purpose of charging air into the, the engine itself. And So the turbo? Exactly, yeah. Uh, it's a fresh feed. And that is... T- that has tended over the years to become a compartmentalised item. So there'll be a small amount of air that is driven for that purpose, but then you'll see other sections of the airbox that have been sectioned off with baffles to be driven into other cooling areas. So you have things like the air ice coolers a bit further behind the power unit itself. So a lot of the bodywork
1: uh, with the, the new Ferrari, when the Ferrari came out and everyone was going, oh, wow, look at those side pods, is, is it just as simple as they're able to do the same job with smaller inlets or is the whole side pod design helping aerodynamically?
0: It almost looked like there was kind of a mid wing on some of the cars. It's a trade off. So you're always going to have this trade off between cooling and also aerodynamics. And obviously the, the smaller that you can make the inlet, the less drag that you should effectively right. have on the car. So you're making a more efficient aerodynamic car by closing off the inlets on the car. Now, What I find interesting about this whole talk about those that particular style side pod design is that the inlet itself is much smaller. But because of the way the bodywork is introduced in front of it, you're actually still getting a very similar amount of air into the inlet itself. So, you know, although it looks like there's a much smaller inlet, they're actually still achieving a very similar cooling capacity. Excellent. Thanks for that refresher, actually. It's one of those things that, you know,
1: you hear side pod all the time and the side pod kind of it sticks out sort of like Coca-Cola bottle shape in that, venue You go, yeah, what's actually, what's in all that? I'm assuming that there's a minimum size. uh Is there a minimum size regulated that the side pod can be or is it just it's uh, limited by the stuff you have to fit in it? It's
0: limited by what actually fits within the side pod, but the most limiting factor there... Is the impact support spar that I mentioned earlier, which is what Ferrari took and lowered and brought forward. That has a restricted design. Um, both Red Bull and Marussia, I believe it was back in 20, before 2014, bought that spec style um, impact support spar uh, to the forefront uh, for the FIA. Because prior to that, a lot of the teams were developing really, really complex versions of it, uh, costing a fortune and really not achieving much more than other. other other designs out there so the fia just wanted to rein that in a little so with these 2021 regulations you you mentioned it's more spec
1: will will that drive the cost down i guess that kind of goes hand in hand with the cost cap that's
0: the the outset attempt is to try to reduce the amount of areas that the teams can spend money on but for me obviously the the that could be problematic because what will happen is is that teams will just simply funnel the same amount of re- resource into smaller areas of development and, and try to get those negligible gains. So unless they do bring in a budget cap that controls that effort, then we are going to have a little bit of an issue with that side of things. All right, well, let's get back to uh,
1: 2020. So we're going to see smaller, uh, tighter, more aggressive side pods Presumably that's going to lead to more retirements. I don't know. It just, it just seems like they're asking, they're asking for trouble, aren't they, by reducing these side parts, uh, with reliability with only three engines. Is there a risk that we're going to see increased uh, engine mortality?
0: Of course there is. But as we know from an engineering perspective, the, the engines or power units themselves have also gone on from leaps and bounds. The 2014 power units now are, you know, you look back at those as old technology. Essentially, at the core of it, they are the same thing, but they have moved on so far in, in this short space of time. And the likes of Mercedes, for argument's sake, are able to improve the uh, threshold at which the temperature operates for the for the power unit. So that's a key area that Mercedes have looked at for for 20. Uh, 2020. Right. Is that they've yeah. they have they have increased the operating temperature of their power unit and that goes hand in hand with them reducing the side of size of their side pods.
1: It can it can run hotter w- without danger. Now, Summers, uh, not only can your work be found at motorsport.com regularly, you do have a website where you put up uh, you know a lot of this analysis as well. So always worth going and checking are at wwwsummersf onecouk and you are also at Summers f one on Twitter as well. So do follow Matthew Summerfield if you've only ever listened to him here uh, at Missed Apex. Are you going to be able to keep Summers F1? They're not going to make you go by Mr. Matthew Summerfield, are they?
0: No, no. Uh, everything stays the same in terms of my own branding. I will still be doing work on my own website and also trying to have a little bit of a push on YouTube as well as I did at the start of last season, but just simply ran out of time. Uh, that was the biggest factor that I struggled against or have struggled against all the time I've been doing this as a part time gig. But now obviously doing it full time, that should uh, change how I look at things. And you'll actually have
1: creative time as well to think and to drive your projects forward. So I sorry to keep coming back to this. I'm just, I'm so excited because I've, well, how long's it been that we've been podcasting together? It's nearly five years now, summers. I think you'll find which is frightening. And what just seemed like. You know, a faraway dream that was always just at, at fingertips, you know, at your fingertips to have it suddenly and unexpectedly for me, just suddenly arrive is, is just is fantastic. Any prospect of getting into the paddock?
0: Uh, obviously, my remit is not to, to go to races initially, uh, but I'm not going to say that that's not going to happen. I mean, I, I did go out to two races last season as a fan. Um, I went and did the whole camper van experience between um Spa and Monza which was a fantastic thing to do um but you know there are plans afoot let's say for me to to maybe do some of the European races this year as well massively jealous and uh
1: let, let's see if you can hook it up near the Canadian Grand Prix as well and then you can come and join us on our North American karting trip which by the way I feel like I definitely have to do now I, I don't have any choice I've had about 50 people get in touch and say you know maybe maybe so you halve that straight away, but that is still definitely enough to build on. So we're looking at early June. I think we're trying to do too much if we do it on the Canadian Grand Prix weekend. So we're erring towards uh, New York City the weekend before or the weekend before that. Stay tuned for that. More tech. Uh, one of the most striking things, I think, from all the launches, summers, is the front end. Uh, it looks like this almost simpler but more aggressive wings. And also just the nose seems to come out of the car and and drop down. It's almost, but not quite, a
0: stepped nose that's going on. What's going on with the front end? Okay, so everybody has... Sort of converged on the idea of using the under nose cape. So, if we take Ferrari's attempt in 2017 with the side pods, we then have to think about Mercedes' attempt in 2017 with what they did with the front end. So, they brought the the caped nose, and everybody up until now has really kind of had a had a go at it, let's say. But we're starting to really see now the shape of how that has has, has bore out with the rest of the teams, and everybody's really started to experiment with that sort of design. What what does the cape do? Because <laughs> I've I've seen
1: it. I've seen what you're on about, and it looks really pretty. It kind of looks like a curved rudder to
0: the under on the underside of the nose. Okay, so yeah, I mean, basically, it's an aerodynamic device. Uh, the center portion of the front wing cannot be. Uh- different on the on all of the teams you've got a neutral section that's what creates the y250 vortex that you always like to go go on about uh because that's where the the front wing meets with this neutral section and it creates that vortex off the tip of it but on that center portion of the, the the wing it used to be very very powerful um, the teams would use that center section to be able to create downforce effectively. And what we've started to see with the, the cape sections uh, and the way that the nose tips are shaped and, you know, the nose in general is that they're using that to be able to create not downforce as such, but they're being able to change the way in which the, the airflow moves around that section of the car to influence the whole car. You know, this is the thing that we have to think about when we're talking about uh, the Formula One car design is that the designers, are trying to influence not only directly what, what you're looking at, but also the, the, the aspect of the car further downstream. So the likes of this cape influence the airflow around the rest of the car towards the barge boards and the side pods we've already talked about. And so you cannot just simply steal an idea from one car and strap it onto the other and it make it work. You have to make it work for your specific design. Right, but
1: so we, we couldn't just go and nick the Mercedes one, put it on the Red Bull and expect the same result. It has to be integrated into your general aero philosophy. However, the teams are now all realising that you need some kind of cape uh, in that area to feed back down. So the cape is nearly neutralised, I guess, to some extent. So we've come to that point in the regulation where, the, the, like you said, the side pods, everyone's going for that more aggressive, smaller thing. Uh, Everybody's going for this cape design to go down. So, are there are there any teams that are doing, or are there any themes where you go? Actually, this is an area of innovation still in 2020. You know, where one team could still turn up with a massive advantage, or, or are all
0: these areas really locked down? They're, they're never always locked down. There's always areas where the teams can make um, a percentage game, let's say. But you do have to think of things in totality and not just one area. There's no silver bullet here. Available to any of the teams, but there are areas where you've seen from certain teams where they've made uh, gains because of small innovations. Let's say, let's let's take Ferrari for example. Uh, their car launched um, a, a rather lengthy affair uh, in Italy. Oh, we uh, all liked it. We were all huge fans. Yeah, I love a ballerina dance going on <laughs> before a I, car launch. I really
1: like just just really kind of slow, boring monologues. From just one guy on stage in an ill-fitting suit. That's my favorite. Anyway, uh, yeah. So yeah, they, they did that quite elaborately. But what I want to ask you is there are certain folk out there who say that from a technical point of view, there's not a great deal you can tell from the launch. Obviously, once we come out for testing in Australia, you guys, you and, uh, Piola, you're going to pick up things that have changed from between the launch and, uh, and, and the first race. But when you look at the launches, you're obviously looking at it through eyes that say, well, this is not the finished package. How much how much do you really see and how much are you kind of just extrapolating from trends and overall chassis,
0: chassis shapes? Oh, obviously, there's areas of the car that aren't locked down at that stage, as you say, and we are going to see changes between now and, and Melbourne. In fact, we'll probably see several changes between now and the end of the test, let alone the stuff that's shipped out for the first race. So... Yes, there are areas of the car that we specifically look at, target those areas because they are a trend. You see, you're starting to see it emerge on, on all of the cars. So you want to highlight those factors because they are important. However, there are areas that, like I was just mentioning with the Ferrari, they've come along with their Viking horns, which, as you mentioned earlier, the airbox that goes over the top of the driver's head, yep. they've got Viking horns that are alongside that alongside ah. them to drive the airflow towards the rear wing. Now, Again, this is an idea that we've seen in the past and Ferrari have adapted for the current rule set. McLaren in 2005 had a very similar design, albeit a lot wider because that's what the regulations allowed at the time. But this isn't something that everybody can steal because let's say Mercedes wanted to to approach this kind of design. Their design wouldn't allow it because they have a much wider airbox and the regulations only permit a certain size of of bodywork in that region. So Ferrari have obviously got a very narrow airbox, which allows them to have these airbox horns. So, you know, just because it's on one car doesn't mean it can necessarily just be bolted onto the other. Right. Before we go on to, you know, some of the specific
1: teams, I'll I'll tell you from just a complete amateur, some of the things I've noticed just looking at the cars, and you can tell me whether I'm right or wrong. The rear ends towards the end of the engine box, like where the driver's numbers are, all seem to be a little narrower and tighter this year.
0: Yeah. Obviously, that is something that the teams are always looking to do because of the way that they want to get the airflow into the center line of the car. So they're always trying to drive the packaging to allow them to do that sort of thing. And primarily there, they want to reduce it down to the shark fin elements in the center points. So. That's why we start to see a narrowing as we go to the rear of the car. Now, that is also aided by the lengthening of the, sh- of the wheelbase, which obviously everybody currently moans about how long the cars are they because re- they are. Oh,
1: they're so long. Like, I, if you, I didn't realise if you put it up against like a family car, it's like twice the length. These, these things are like, are like rocket ships. But haven't some of the teams, isn't it like the Mercedeses have led this long wheelbase
0: charge? Uh, is there a, I presume there's a limit to how much they're allowed to do. There's not a limit as to how much they can do. But so, how long it can to, be? Yeah, no, but there, mm. there's not a limit there either. There will be in the 2021 20, regulations, uh, but currently there's not realistically a, a, a limit. There's, there's a limit in terms of how well they can actually manage everything if they continue to make them look more like limos. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but what's the advantage of the longer wheelbase? It's primarily to do with airflow again uh to do with downforce you know you, you're making the the floor longer so you're effectively creating more space for 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 the downforce uh obviously it increases the packaging that they can they they can do as well so that's what we've seen from Ferrari this year in terms of packaging they've narrowed their gearbox, but in doing so they've had to slightly lengthen the wheelbase again because right. you know, they've still got the same amount of internals to deal with and uh something
1: is telling me that A longer vehicle will will deal with air resistance better in general. Like if you are on a bicycle and you go behind another bicycle, the two of you together, it's not just the rear one getting a slipstream. You both together benefit. So in 2021, though, are we going to see significantly? Are we going to be surprised? Like, oh, these are like the short F1 cars of yesteryear with their big wheels.
0: I think we will be quite surprised about the the visual aspect of how that changes things in terms of the length of the car, um, because it will be quite a dramatic change compared to what we currently have. Excellent. Tell you what, why don't we move on to uh,
1: some of the specific teams? Let's start at the very beginning. I don't know, Summers, why don't we go in reverse 2019 championship order? No, not reverse, the opposite of reverse. Let's go in reverse, reverse championship order and start with Mercedes. Apart from it looking very, very pretty, how are they looking from a tech point of view?
0: Well, I think that the the obvious thing to say about Mercedes is is that they haven't gone out and changed things wholesale. You know, the the evolution of their car since the W05 through to the W11 has retained the, the same sort of DNA. Um, we've already just talked about the, the wheelbase of the car, and everybody has always, always sort of said, "Well, why are Mercedes taking this low line, low rake, long wheelbase philosophy when they're the, the you know the outliers in that respect?" Everybody else followed the Red Bull approach and went for high rake. Now, obviously, the high rake does have a, advantages in its own respect, but Mercedes have always managed to make this work, and so I see that I saw no reason for them to make change for 2020 although others apparently did, and expected a, a higher raked car.
1: Now, I'm sorry, I'm not Matt Trumpet, so I cannot let that that go by without asking another stupid question. Obviously, when we talk about rake, we're just talking about the relative height of the rear compared to the front. So with a high rake car, it almost looks like the whole car is leaning forward, doesn't it? And I suppose in an ideal word, world, you would have a car with a high rake uh, on the on the corners, and then, as you went to the straights, it would like lower down so that you could have less downforce, effectively making the whole car a DRS flap. So the, the other teams have gone for this high rake and then hoping that it will kind of sit down a little bit when they go down the straights. So why why did Mercedes not need that? And is there any disadvantage that the high rake uh, the high rake teams are actually giving themselves by going for that philosophy? You've done a Matt, Matt
0: Trumpets there and asked about ten questions. Oh no,
1: don't right, right. Uh, Lee, Lee <laughs> <Is> uh, this, <laughs> I is need it... to speak to producer Lee. Lee, can we get this? Uh, can we get this edited out? There's no producer Lee. It's just me. All right, sorry about that. Okay, let's start with why don't Mercedes need that
0: high rake? It, it's a general philosophy that they've always followed. So, the the thing about rake is, is it's only good to you if you can seal the edges of the floor. Because you need to be able to improve the performance of the diffuser as it runs rearward behind the car. So obviously, the, the further back you get, a, as the car becomes higher off the ground, you will you have more chance of tyre squirt inferring on the diffuser. I know I know, you're going to pull a funny face at that word. I, I um, would have
1: got away with it. I was out of shot. But tyre squirt is, is funny. Uh, everybody take a drink who's <laughs> playing tech time bingo. Uh, yeah, so... Uh, the diffuser, it tell us, tell you just quickly, what does
0: the diffuser do? Okay, so the diffuser accelerates the airflow underneath the car uh, and basically that creates downforce. It effectively sucks the car to oh, the ground. Okay. So if you've got high rake
1: but no seal, you don't get that diffuser effect. Do Do you think that there are any teams that have run this high rake that have then struggled to get that? So perhaps that would disadvantage
0: you in the corners? Yes, the there will be even the best teams at the, at having a high rate car will have moments that they have, they struggle with because it's just the, the dynamics of the way that, that the car works, that the pitch and, and roll of the car. So obviously Red Bull lead the way in that respect and will struggle from it less, but you will still have, they will still have areas where they will find weakness in, in that regard. Um, I, I think you have to go back to, and remember what the teams were doing with exhaust-blown diffusers to understand this concept. They were trying to drive airflow that was created by the exhaust down the outer channels of the rear tires to seal off the the spinning vortex that was driven by the rear wheel,
1: and, and that, that was if- making the diffuser work better and sucking yeah. the car to the ground. So that's what the Red Bull Red Bulls had. Okay, yes. so so but Mercedes have erred away from trying to do this higher rake approach. Does that maybe explain why they always seem so planted, You know, even if they're missing out on that slight high-rake advantage?
0: Yeah, because they've got a stability to their their overall concept, their design. As I say, I don't think it's a problem. It's just that they, it works for them, and they've decided that they will continue for it to work for them throughout the years that they, they've operated in this regulation set. Uh, from the, the moment that we came into the hybrid era at 2014, they have had a low-line low rake um, philosophy and, and obviously that has tended to be increased exponentially by the wheelbase if you put the W05 next to the W11 I would imagine that they're going to look very different in terms of their overall length. why would you just not copy what the team
1: that are winning everything are doing surely you would do that I mean even like as a karting dad I'm not looking at my boy half the time I'm looking at the good kids and seeing what they're doing I'm like listen listen true face look there. They're taking a really wide line around the outside. Follow, follow them. Uh, but yeah, so how come you know the other teams have tried to do something different and not just gone? Are there, are there any teams, in fact? And this is not another question. I'm going to stick to this one question here. Are there any other teams that
0: have looked at Mercedes and gone right? We're just going to try and follow that philosophy. Williams tried uh, when Paddy Lowe went to the team, and okay. unfortunately, they don't have the resource or budget to be able to achieve what Mercedes have. And the reason for that is a hangover from. Uh, a, a longer period, let's say, than the, the hybrid regulations. We have to go back to the Red Bull era. And this is where we have a sort of crossover because the teams that have adapted the high-rate situation, the likes of Ferrari, et cetera, looked at the Red Bull era where they dominated the sport. And that's where this high-rate became prevalent because everybody looks at Red Bull and thought, this is how we must move forward. However, at the same time, Mercedes entered the sport and started to develop their Frick suspension, their hydraulic elements, and everything that goes on with the pitch and roll of the car. So they have a system that is probably better than anybody else in terms of the relationship between the mechanical aspect of the car and the aerodynamic platform of the car. And that's where other teams can't really get on board. So we've spent a lot of time on Miss Apex talking about
1: where Vettel has dropped the ball. Uh, A lot is made of Hamilton always having the best car. We've done the maths of forgiving the Ferrari car for every mistake that Vettel has made and it puts the 2017-2018 championships probably in the hands of a red driver. However, in the case for the defence that I'm now trying to put together, do, do you think Vettel might have done better? He's kind of lost that rear diffuser kind of advantage that he had at Red Bull. If you put him in a Mercedes where you you don't risk losing the diffuser effect with a high rake, you know, is there any chance that Sebastian Vettel would have just been much more comfortable with this Mercedes philosophy?
0: It's obviously a very difficult one to, to put in, into words. We've, got, we've got time. Sorry. All, right. uh, go all, all, all I can suggest is is that when Red Bull were at their peak and it was Weber versus Vettel, uh, there was a switching point whereby Vettel became the number one driver in as much as that he was able to extract the absolute maximum from the package that they had at the time. And Weber couldn't drive the car in the same way that Vettel could. Now, that tends then to lead to development issues because one driver can't drive the car the same way. And unfortunately for Red Bull at the time, Weber was actually the the more prevalent development aspect of the the package. He would develop the car more. Uh, And that's where we started to see the relationship between the two start to sour because obviously Uh, Vettel was getting the results, but it was Weber that was putting in a hard, hard time to develop the car. And then there became this really, uh, poor relationship between the two in that respect. Going to your question about whether, whether Vettel would do well in the the Mercedes, I do think he would, but you'd have to argue at which point. If you put Vettel in the car alongside Hamilton in 2014 and allowed them to develop together at the same point, then Perhaps we might have seen a very, very close set of championships. But if you'd have put Vettel in the car after Hamilton already had the, the head start on the development curve, then I'm not quite so sure we would be in the same situation. Yeah, it's it's such a you know an integral part of being
1: a world champion like Michael Schumacher, Vettel, and Lewis Hamilton, of working with your team and, and building that philosophy. I remember in twenty thirteen all Hamilton was saying in interviews, it was like, "Hey, how are you finding the facilities in the motorhome?" And his answer would be, "We need more downforce." His answer to everything was, "I needed to drive a car with more downforce, not just the, you know, not just the best engine, not just the best qualifying pace, because they were on pole for everything, weren't they, that year?" And then couldn't hold it in the race. Uh, but this is why I feel like people are too harsh on Bottas when he's coming into basically into into Hamilton's car, into Hamilton's team, and people are like you know, oh, he's not that good. He probably is He
0: probably is good if you put him in there in 2014 and let him develop the car. Yeah, I mean, the, the same can be said about the relationship between Lewis and, and Nico. Um, you know, they were together for much of the emergence of Mercedes. Obviously, there was the Schumacher uh, opening phase of Mercedes arriving in the sport, but then Lewis came along and partnered up to Nico and they effectively helped to develop the, the hybrid car for 2014. And that's why we saw them battle out uh, on most occasions, let's say. One was perhaps better than the other in certain facets of their racing ability, uh, and the other was far superior in others. But going to your point about Lewis and downforce, and you're going to hate me using this word, but the biggest issue that Mercedes had in 2013 was tyres. Something that they got over for 2014 and, and something that they've been able to get on top of ever since. And that has been a really good feature of Mercedes is whenever they, the chips have been down over these last few years, they've been able to overcome what's been thrown at them.
1: Yeah, they've been able to figure it out. And by the way, I don't hate tyre talk. Let's be really clear if you're listening here. I hate Trumpets' tyre talk because he will like talk about it for several days. Uh, no, I, I find the tyre strategy good. I, I think bringing in three different tyre compounds was one of the best things, you know, one of the best things that, that we've seen in the sport. And I would like to see the tyres playing more of a strategy element in having different compounds. I, I like that and I enjoyed it. Uh, just, uh, interesting about 2013. Uh, what was it about the tyres that they they couldn't get on top of? They were overheating the rears. They were just overheating the rears. Yeah, and um, they have the capability to go down different development paths and sort this out. Now, I remember in 2015, 2016, when Mercedes were really comfortable uh, ahead of the pack, you were talking to me about how they had this kind of um, file-draw effect where as soon as teams uh, came close to them, they had the ability to kind of reach into their 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 sack and go, okay, now we can develop, now we can try that thing. But while no one is near them, they could just kind of
0: potter along. Do you think they've still got that that capacity? I think it's reduced over time. And obviously we're at the end of a, a regulation set. So as I mentioned earlier at the start of the show, I think a lot of the teams have got some concepts that they perhaps had hidden away for, for many years and thought, let's, Throw, the, throw stuff at the car for this year because, you know, we might not ever be able to use it again. The, the 2021 car is, is quite different. So yeah, there there is a lot of that respect. But as I say, the the, the uh, option for Mercedes in, in there has probably reduced a little. Well, the only reason I mention it is because the
1: last two seasons, they've had the driver championship wrapped up by, by Mexico-ish kind of time. So it does feel like even though it's looked close at the beginning of the season, they've been able to keep throwing things, keep throwing development, keep going down certain paths. And eventually,
0: actually it's been comfortable towards the end of the seasons. Yeah. I mean, what really stands out for me last season in terms of uh, Mercedes is the problems that they had. They had problems with their cooling package. So, we all know that they were struggling in terms of being able to get the best from the power unit, and that is because they made changes to the power unit that then didn't suit the chassis setup. They tried to rectify that around Germany, and we all know what happened to Germany, um, but they bounced back from it. They made more changes there onwards, and it's this development cycle that really impresses me about Mercedes, and it's perhaps something that we don't necessarily see in the same way from other teams, because other teams don't, react to problems they don't have the development curve to be able to say well we've got uh, all of these solutions here uh, let's try number one and if that doesn't work then 10 weeks down the line we'll go for number three Mercedes seem to have a backup when, then, when they come to these situations much like they did it testing last year with two cars
1: right so is this race by race so like if something in FP1 really isn't working they can do
0: it there and then or are we talking about like the next race It depends on what they're actually looking at. I just find that they have a very good way of understanding how to react to situations. Obviously, there's a lead time involved in developing a concept and also then the the actual manufacturer of a concept. So it's not something, you know, a part that we see on a car, let's say a front wing, could take 12 to 14 weeks to develop, but a small component on a front wing could be additive manufactured within within half an hour, let's say, and, and put on the car. And Mercedes aren't the only one that play this game. You know, other teams have 3D printers live at the circuit and they will make uh, parts there and then. But, you know, the, the, you do have to think that when you look at the progress that Mercedes have made throughout a season, and that is season upon season, they do things slightly differently to the rest. Ready to pop the question. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.
1: Okay, and lastly on Mercedes, you were talking about the engine cooling issues. Do you think that's going to be sorted for this season? Obviously, you said the engine can run hotter, but does that mean that like they were kind of on a bit of a
0: management mode last season? That's a little bit ominous for other teams. Yeah, I mean, basically what they've done, according to uh, the information that Andy Kell put out the other day, is that they've raised the operating temperature of the power unit in order that it falls in line better with the ambient temperature at the circuit. So they've proved out four degrees uh, from the power units itself, which means that they're then able to run the power unit that little bit more, that little hotter uh, to get the best from it. But like, like any good team, they don't just take that on the chin and say, yeah, yeah well, we can run four degrees hotter. Let's st- stick with the, the cooling solution we've yeah. got. No, they've gone and really shrunk the side pods down uh, and obviously gone to the same sort of level of cooling that they had before.
1: That is, that is pure design engineering. Uh, obviously, when I was doing engineering, uh, my job was always making sure that things could last, not reliability as such, but that it could last in different conditions and be replaced when it fails, that kind of thing. Always, always, always design uh, arguing with design engineers about cooling because all they see is performance. And so you give them an inch with the cooling, you put extra cooling systems in. They will—it's t- almost pointless because they will just take every last bit of performance uh, that they can. Obviously, Formula One, a performance sport. Should we move? Uh, should we move to Ferrari, uh, everyone's favorite Italian team? Possibly. Are there any others? Oh yeah, Alpha, Alpha are Italian, aren't they? So Alpha yeah. Tauri. No, we're not doing that. We're just, they're both would naturally be called Alpha. It's not my fault that they allowed two teams. So they're both just Alpha. Okay, Ferrari, uh, is it looking good? Give me some hope. Give me some hope that we're going to have a real battle up front with the red cars putting
0: a proper title challenge down this season. Well, I think the most obvious thing that you had to take away from their launch, apart from the length of it, was the... admittance from everybody that they focused on downforce good yes yes this year's car every every word or sentence that was uttered there was a mention of downforce and clearly last year's car was built in a very specific way because they had decided that they wanted to increase their straight line speed in order to give them an advantage let's say in certain areas now the reason that they did that is because the 2019 regulations were designed to improve Increase the amount of drag on the cars. That's why we've ended up with wider. Fr- why we've ended up with the areas on the front wing that have been taken away. We don't have the canards, the ca- the cascades, etc., that we had before. Why the rear wing had the louvers taken away from them, and why a n- number of other areas of the car were adjusted in order to bring that drag up, in order that it allowed the overtaking to to be improved. Uh, I see. Okay. Uh, and then, well, so Ferrari spent the time trying to strip that away. Correct. But in doing so, they didn't perhaps concentrate too heavily on downforce, which obviously, you know, most Formula One tracks are built around corners, which requires downforce. So, it was still still a very good ebb and flow in terms of the way that you saw yeah. Mercedes being able to get into the corners and be able to drive away from the Ferrari but then you saw the Ferrari was extremely quick
1: well i mean on the more traditional circuits where overtaking was harder they could make a nuisance of themselves in qualifying perhaps and then and then stay up front uh, so apart from from downforce they were lacking in overall race pace you know i think the the thinking was that perhaps They were wearing, they were harder on their tires with less downforce. They're moving around a bit more. Tires were overheating. So if they have successfully bolted some downforce on, we're not going to see this thing where, where Hamilton last season could sit behind a Ferrari
0: reasonably confident that the race was going to come to him. Yeah. I mean, the, the biggest thing that we have to think about with Ferrari in terms of their development cycle last year is that their sole focus was on adding downforce to the car. And it's when we saw them bring the Cape solution uh, and several other little bits associated to that to the car in the latter phases of last year. Well, I think it was just after the summer break, actually. and um, that they started to come alive because they'd added front end. And that was their biggest issue. They couldn't get front end on the car because of the outwash design front wing that they'd built. Everybody talked about at the start of the season, and I sat on the fence, if I remember correctly, about this outwash style front wing, the loaded and unloaded version. Ferrari being one end of the spectrum, Mercedes being at the very loaded end of the spectrum. And that was partly the problem that they were facing because they just couldn't get front-end downforce. They couldn't crank the, the wing up any higher than they already had it. So this is when they introduced the Cape. They got some more of that front-end downforce I was talking about earlier from being able to work the middle section of the car. And their car sort of started to to behave a little bit better. And this year's car is very much in that vein. Have they gone rakey or less rakey? Uh, it's a difficult one to measure because they've actually lengthened the car. So the rake obviously is deceived by th- that lengthening of the car. But yes, they are still very much on on the high rake philosophy. Okay. I just I I wonder for the people <laughs> like me,
1: who may have written Vettel off after last season and are really kind of scared for him with Leclerc. I, I, I just want to reserve judgment, because if Ferrari do turn up with a high downforce package Something that, that, that Vettel can, can work with. It will be interesting to see whether he still has some fight there, whether he can still do anything. Um, speaking, cause we're on Ferrari, so that's fine. So I can talk about Vettel's mistakes legitimately. There were some really, really bizarre ones, you know, side to side in, I think, Bahrain with Lewis Hamilton, uh, on his own in Monza going through the chicanes. There were times where it just seemed like the downforce just suddenly left him. Like he was driving, he needs a car. That is going to be consistent and planted with the downforce and it it was just bizarre some of those incidents it's just something we weren't seeing other drivers doing so yeah is there is there hope that that could kind
0: of be cut out yeah i think so but i do also believe and we won't have seen this on the launch car uh, this is part of what we will start to see in testing is we will need to see what ferrari have developed in terms of being able to seal the edge of the floor we've seen all of the teams move towards these sort of fully enclosed holes down the sides of the floor to change the airflow as it moves around the edge of the floor to seal it off, Ferrari started out with these little hedgehog-style uh, strikes on top of the floor to move the airflow yes, as well outboard. Right, yes, but they're not on the launch car, so I'm anticipating that we'll see something a little bit more aggressive from them when we see the car in, ba- in Barcelona. Yeah, I guess uh,
1: there's no real need showing all the floor detail uh, just when you're just showing off your sponsors and stuff. In fact, I guess it would be a disadvantage. Uh, to do so. Uh, so perhaps we move on to, um, if, oh, in fact, no, before we move on, uh, Ferrari, best engine, obviously, apart from Renault. We all know Renault have got the best engine summers. Yeah, is your name, Abeatable? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hats off to the lad. Uh, what, what do people call him? The, the mumble. <laughs> That's what Steve called him. He said, uh, the mumble was saying things about the engine, and I thought he was talking about an Australian magazine. Uh, no. So, yeah, Abeatable claimed that. Is it actually Ferrari still with the most powerful power
0: unit? Again, it's very subjective to use or coin a frame, phrase like uh, Bradley Philpott. It depends. No, uh,
1: no sitting on the fence. Just make, look, you're going to be a full-time uh, motorsport.com person uh, from like Wednesday. It's In fact, is it tomorrow you start? Okay. Yes. So come on, just enjoy this last day of wild speculation with a shared outfit where you can just blurt out anything. It's fine. Go on, go on. Don't sit on the fence.
0: Have they got the uh, best power unit? In my opinion, no. I, I still firmly believe that Mercedes had the best power unit last year anyway. I just think that it was very much skewed towards the Ferrari advantage in most people's minds because of the straight line speed advantage that it got from an aerodynamic perspective. And they'd set their power unit stall out based on this straight line speed advantage that they'd built into their chassis. So I think we were looking at it with a, a very different perspective to what the actual perspective was i'm, I'm really glad for, you said that summers yeah i'm glad you said for that. me for me the order is still for uh, still mercedes ferrari and i actually do believe that honda have overtaken renault uh in many respects we're, we're they're still there. close um but i do believe that that honda are just slightly ahead of renault well we're
1: going to go to red bull right now in fact i uh, just to ask are ferrari still going to use more fuel than they're allowed to gain an illegal advantage? <clears throat> um,
0: I, I would hate to comment on that situation. In fact, we've now got a secondary fuel flow um, restri- uh, measurement. So oh, of all course. of course, yes. Yeah, so all of the teams obviously uh, might struggle against some of those kind of situations.
1: Oh, look at you. You're so corporate already. You're, you're a corporate. Select. Now that you've got a career to, to risk... <laughs> <laughs> uh no, obviously it was uh I am doing that tongue in cheek. It was an alleged fuel flow increase giving them an advantage. Uh but yeah, so you think that loophole will be shut down though. I was really surprised to find out, especially after Red Bull managed to do the expandable hose after the sensor, that in all this time in the turbo hybrid era, we've only had one fuel flow sensor. That's that felt that's just asking for trouble. I can't I can't believe
0: it. Yeah. Well, as it is my last show, there are a few fuel flow sensors that give better readings than others. What? So I'm led to understand. I thought there were standard FIA ones. They are, but they're, it's a sensor. Some will be better or worse than oh, others. Oh, I see. Yeah, just with the natural
1: variance of performance of the sensors. Mm-hmm. Now that's interesting. That, now that's, that's susceptible to the odd bung or two. Not that anyone would ever... Would ever do that, uh Summers? Let's get out of this dodgy legal territory uh by going to Red Bull, uh, one of the most exciting and innovative outfits that Formula One has ever seen. I think that's fair to say that they are always uh, willing to try things, especially kind of as the underdogs. The last few seasons, it's a big gulf to Mercedes, but I I know that the noises I'm hearing out of the Red Bull factory is
0: that they are super, super, super excited about this year's package. And to be fair, I was super excited when I saw the car uh, at the launch and, and then obviously at the shakedown as well. It, it is a very interesting looking car, let's say. There are cues on there that that uh, they're not vastly different to anybody else on the grid. They Conceptually, they're at their core the same as what we're seeing, but Red Bull have gone on and developed them further. We've already talked about the nose and the cape and Red Bull now have one. They've narrowed their nose, the the actual assembly itself, to meet what uh, Mercedes and McLaren have already done so that they obviously can improve that flow and make the cape wider. Uh, They hadn't introduced the cape before because they couldn't find a way of doing that. And obviously this uh, holistic look at the nose and changing the dimension of it has allowed them to do that.
1: So it's got a sort of hole in the nose and it's narrower like an animal instead of the wider one, flatter one they had last year. Is there is that a secret weapon in some in
0: some way? As I say, it's a development of what we've already seen from from other solutions in terms of getting airflow through that central portion of the nose, and also it's because they don't want the airflow to see the nose structure. They're effectively trying to rid the nose structure of the nose tip itself. It. They don't want it there. However, what they do want is it for it to, for it to interfere with the centralised section of the the front wing the neutral section that i've talked about yes if it can interact with that then it can create some minimal downforce in its own right what's interesting about the the inlet that you've just mentioned is is that they've always done things differently the main nose tip snout has always been hollowed out so that it's almost like just a straight through vent and nobody else has, has tended to go down that route and what they've now done is expanded upon that by adding a cape section to the side of it, or a snowplow, as I like to call it. Yeah. Uh, and then on top of that, they've added these additional two inlets, which also will drive air flow through the nose uh, and obviously create performance. So it does look quite different to the other cars'
1: front noses. Is this the kind of thing where, if it works, suddenly we're going to see it popping
0: up on all these new front wings around the around the paddock? No. Because the problem that you have with a, a structure like this is the crash test. So Red Bull have obviously had to work extremely hard to work on this design to get it through the crash test as well, because... It is an integral part to obviously being able to run it, and we've actually seen in the past that teams are, have designed noses that they then can't get through the crash test, and have had to step backwards from from what they they've tried to introduce. And I think Red Bull were actually one of those. They they tr- they looked at yeah. a nose design and then had to go back to the crash test. Thereafter. I think I think that was last season actually. Yeah.
1: so I remember. Yeah, they had loads of attempts. They suddenly did it, but not with the not with the design that they were looking at. Um, so. We're hearing that Red Bull are really happy with the front end, which means that they'll be nice and pointy and aggressive into corners. Uh, what about the rear end, though? Because that was that was super interesting. It, it looked like they were creating almost a second wing out of the suspension and wheel hubs.
0: Yeah, well, again, it's a trend that we've seen for the last sort of perhaps seven or eight years in as much as the teams are starting to raise the uprights. That allows them then to place the upper wishbone at a more aerodynamically advantageous position, almost at points, perhaps, you know, not trying to recreate the beam wing like McLaren did in 2014 with those uh, (laughs) very large fairings. But, you know,
1: that was terrible. That was like a (laughs) sail.
0: They are trying to use them as an aerodynamic feature. You know, all of these changes that we're looking at are for aerodynamic purposes primarily because. It will improve the way in which that the airflow moves around the rest of the car. So not only have they done what you mentioned and raised the upper wishbone to quite an extreme height, they've also done it at the front, at the lower end as well. The lower front leg of the lower wishbone is also much higher as well. So it allows the airflow to get underneath that towards the floor and the Coke bottle region, which is obviously going to improve, uh, how the airflow moves and the performance they get out of the floor and the diffuser as well. But on top of that, all of this unifies how they're using the brake duct winglets. If you look at all of that stack on the brake ducts, yeah. uh, further exposed to the airflow than they have been before, which obviously improves the relationship with the surrounding componentry. But on top of this, I also feel that there might be some kind of mechanical aspect to what they're doing. You know, clearly, most of what Formula One teams do is in order to improve the aerodynamic output of the car. And we tend not to think too drastically about the mechanical aspect because, you know, it's a suspension. What more can you do with it? However, there has been talk in recent years about rear wheel steer, primarily from the Mercedes. It's not rear wheel steer as people would think. So it's, it's not, not
1: like a milk float with <laughs> the, no. or a
0: forklift? We're, we're not connecting it to the steering wheel and okay. using it to, to actually t- turn the wheels, but from from a camber adjustment point of view, you can sort of simulate a small level of rear wheel steer, and obviously the way in which that they've approached the design of their uh, push rod, um, from being in a very forward position at, at the inboard section to obviously this much higher position at the outboard section, you know, I do think that there is potential there for them to have maybe looked at Mercedes' design and tried to, to emulate that performance i tell i tell you what summers i think i've done pretty well
1: i've been keeping up with you but just that that last bit with the stacks and the air ducts and the and the words that didn't even register that you've just started you've started to lose me uh future you said since this is my last show we have to stress this isn't definite and if we ever have the opportunity to have you more we will grab it we will grab every second We'll we'll do a five second tech time with Summers if we can. Don't fear, though, out there in uh, out there uh, listening, you tech fans. Mist Apex is not abandoning tech uh, altogether. There is provision for good t- tech analysis with authority on this Apex podcast, come what may. So so don't worry. Uh, and obviously, Matt uh, again will be the the guy leading that. I've done my best. Here to make sure we get definitely one more good chat with with summers so Aero, Asoid, hero I'm gonna miss that accent i'm gonna miss the I'm gonna miss that accent on the show what am I gonna do now I'm gonna have to just mock the next person's <laughs> regional accent uh, I have to tell you i have I have given a character in my latest zombie audio book your accent summers so you are oh. yeah yeah you're defending you're defending an outpost but I hate to be a spoilerific, but your character is doomed. Oh, no. Oh, no. I must run away. I've got to run away. The general's coming to save us. Right. uh, Last bit. Last bit on Honda. Uh, Honda Red Bull. So the Honda bit of the Honda Red Bull. How are they doing? Uh, Firstly, on reliability, I've heard that they are running thousands of miles on the dyno, So they are running as well as they want for as long as they want, which
0: is, fingers crossed, That's looking good for a three-way title scrap. Yeah, totally. I mean, obviously, that's where they've always really fell down in terms of being able to push the power unit harder. I'm also hearing that they're going to have a proper party mode uh, for qualifying this year as well. Oh, okay. What is is a party mode? Basically, uh, everything turned up to 11. Let's crank it up and go uh something that Mercedes kind of had and everybody tried to copy. In other words, let's just throw everything at it for qualifying, uh, requires them to uh manage the energy situation quite well on an outlap, uh to be able to then obviously just throw the, the whole thing at it for a qualifying. Okay, so that mode
1: that they do, they say it's your Q through Q three uh, uh run hot lap mode. Is that a mode that they could use in a race you know if that engine is like it's in its seventh race and we're chasing down for the lead can they still deploy party mode
0: or is it something that really can only be done in quali i'll refer to matthew carter's podcast oh yes uh, <laughs> and the mode that was given to roman grosjean to chase down uh sebastian vettel
1: for those uh, people who don't know that story uh matthew carter ceo of lotus roman grosjean was uh yeah we're chasing down vettel uh but in order for them to catch the the Ferrari, which was, oh, hang on, was it a Ferrari? No, it was a Red Bull at the time. No, it was a Ferrari. It was a Ferrari. Mercedes called them up and said, you know, press these buttons. Or, oh no, no, that's what it was. They have a engine tech in the back of the garage. And they unlocked that mode through the engine tech. And suddenly they unlocked this performance mode.
0: Um, So you think they can do it in the race? Yeah, they can. I mean, all of the teams have that. Capacity to be able to run at these high performance modes. But the problem is, is that you use the performance and you lose reliability. So you're t- effectively sucking the life straight out of the power unit, uh, whether it be from the, en- the ICE or it's the turbo or any of the en- energy recovery systems. If you start to really give them hell for a long period of time, then you're creating heat. And as we know, heat is the energy, the enemy, uh, and that will obviously reduce reliability. Okay, so are you optimistic overall that the Honda Red Bull package, can we get
1: on the hype train? Because I've am i got one foot on the station and one foot on the hype train.
0: I've already boarded the hype train, yeah! if I'm honest. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, I looked at the car, I've heard good whispers coming from Honda, and I'm in the back carriage at the moment, and I'm deciding whether to leap to the Mercedes that's, that's just on the alongside, <laughs> but... You know, that that is where I'm at at the moment. I do really like the look of uh, this year's Red Bull. That's fantastic. Thank you so much for this tech analysis and jumping on
1: at short notice as well, at Summers F1 on Twitter, and it's summersf1.co.uk uh, for all the F1 stuff. Uh, where do you do all your, you're still doing all that FIFA stuff where it's like, oh yeah, respected tech analyst Matthew Summerfield, but uh, come watch me play FIFA as well. Yeah, I play FIFA. Yeah, I've got a separate <laughs> channel for that now. Okay, good. <laughs> so, what is just you playing a video game, and do you do you chat alongside it? Do you like take a shot and go? Oh no!
0: I, I comment. I commentators on I'm playing, and do you? yeah, and I've actually modded the game. I've got the national league in my game. The non-league, t- the non-league teams. Oh right, okay. Well, who's your Who's your team in football? So- Solihull Moors. It's oh. got to be a Midlands club, hasn't it? Fair enough. So, okay, good. I
1: thought I was struggling as a Colchester United fan, Uh but go and catch up. Uh, where's that YouTube channel, by the way?
0: What, uh, I- that is, you can find a link to it from my other YouTube channel, okay. which is obviously Summers F1. Okay, we will do that. Thank you very much. From the
1: bottom of my heart, Summers, for everything you've done for Missed Apex Podcast, and I'm sure our paths will cross again in media in some way, shape, or form. Follow the show at Mist Apex F1 and me at Spanners Ready, the normal Tech Time host. You can follow Matt Trompett at MattPT55. And we have groups on Facebook too. And you can be my Facebook friend. Search for Richard Ready. Uh, we'll be back here in the shed for a live stream on Sunday with Matthew Carter. And we'll be doing a mini testing review uh, early in the week as well. And then the following week, we're going to have uh, the review of the second week of testing. All these shows, schedules, should be on the website uh, www.mistapexpodcast.com by the time you see this episode, uh, which means you don't have to ask me anymore. You can just go onto the website and find out. But wherever we see you next, work hard, be kind, and have fun. This was tech time, or the best tech time I could manage. Sorry. I promise next time we do anything techie, we be Matt asking the clever questions and not just me going on massive tangents. No, I, I think that worked in a lot of respect. <laughs> oh, okay. I mean, that's, did. that's sort of damning with faint praise. That's when uh, I said to Kyle Power earlier, I said, I, I, there's no point in me getting my own kart suit because in any kind of racing cover pants, I just look like a Teletubby of that colour. And he said, no, no, he you you wore that that Red Bull cart fight cart uh, suit that I lent you, and you looked fine. I was like, well, that's not that's not praise, is it? Yeah, you, know, you looked fine, like really hesitant. Yeah, that tech time kind of worked.
0: Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too.